Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. How you road to growth listeners? Uh, today we have Liz Kislik. Did I say that right this time? Kislik? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay, it works, right? I, I have a very... A very ethnic name, Vicente Enriquez, right? But I don't speak Spanish. I don't. I don't speak Spanish. So it's some people get that incorrect. I can imagine on Kislik, Kislik, that some people get that incorrect. Yes, I know. And the spelling gets crazy. Oh, I yeah, I can imagine. So. Uh, <laughs> All kinds so, of things. <laughs> so you're a, a management consultant, executive coach. You've been doing it for, I mean, thirty some years, and. It seems like more recently it's been uh, kind of, and, and maybe it's just because I've had a lot of people on my podcast have, that have been coaches. It seems like it's more of an abundance of coaches, mentors in the last maybe, I don't know, 10, five years or so, but you've been doing it for 30 years. So you've been kind of more at the, the forefront of it, maybe before it was a, a new thing, a fad and everything like that. What, what separates you? And this is a question that I always love to ask if you could break it down. What separates you from other coaches? So I think of myself as more of a management consultant than a coach. Okay. Be because part of what I'm doing is working to make sure that the company is in good shape and not just any individual in it. Okay. That the business goes forward in a good way. And I coach within that context. Okay. Sometimes if you coach the person and don't really know the business, you can send the person in a direction that's not good for the business. That happens more than you would think. Um, sure. Also, sometimes coaching is used as a kind of last ditch effort before we get rid of a person that we really don't want. And I can't stand that. I think the whole value of coaching is to get more out of somebody and to lift everybody all together. But you've all got to be going in the same direction. I don't mean in lockstep, but there's kind of a trajectory that any business is on and every individual in it has to fit that trajectory or the trajectory needs to change. Otherwise, you've got people, you know, just sort of dipping in and out and that gets inconsistent and, and disruptive to everybody. So you brought the idea that helping out the individual uh, sometimes compared to helping out the company can be a conflict, I guess, of interest. What does that mean in essence? So um, I coach some people who are individuals and come to me separately from their company, hmm. say, Oh, one fellow who had just been promoted to vice president in a much larger organization than he'd ever worked before. And he wanted some guidance about how to navigate the kinds of politics and influence kinds of issues. Um, but most of the people that I coach work in an organization, even if it's the owner, they are part of the organization too. And, um, you know, I think about it as 
you can have a perfect drill that makes a perfect hole. But if you're facing that drill in the wrong direction, you get a hole you don't want. Mm. So, you know, the fact that it's perfect doesn't matter if it doesn't fit. Sometimes some people are not meant to be in the spot they're in or they're ready for a change. And then the thing to do is to help them figure out how they can be their best someplace else. Um, it's not always that coaching makes everything perfect in some idealized sense. You have to think about how do we use people's strengths, really apply them, get them to apply them. Um, how do we deal with the situations we're actually in? I, I'm very fond of dealing with reality. How do you walk that thin line? Because I've had a lot of entrepreneurs that have been with corporations, right? And they kind of know deep down that they're looking to transition out of that organization to maybe start their own company, right? And you're talking to them, communication with them, and you might see that this person is not a good fit as a, a team member, but could be a great fit as an individual building their company. And you've gained their trust to get that information. So how do you walk that thin line of helping that individual out yet also telling the company that, hey, this person's probably going to leave in six months, uh, a year from now? Oh, that's such a good question. And it is a tough situation. And every single one is different because it really depends on what are the person's needs. If somebody really needs to be on their own, they've come to a certain point in life or they're tired of what they were doing, whatever it is. Sometimes you can get them to feel refreshed in the business and that actually works out. Um, but sometimes they do need to go or they just need to follow their own lights finally and, and not take direction from somebody else. And, and in those kinds of situations, I really encourage them to level with their manager and I can help them either by preparing them or actually being there for the conversation because then you want to work on this stuff together. Nobody likes to be surprised, you know? Yeah. Everybody likes to understand what's going on so that they can have some say. And I've been in numerous circumstances where we worked out a smooth exit plan that enabled the employee to start transitioning their work over to somebody else or to help hire somebody who would then take their spot. Succession planning is a very big deal. And then also their management had the understanding that they were planning to go. So there was a certain amount of time. The management, it works differently in different places. Um, in some places, it's like, okay, so we understand that you may need a couple of afternoons to go work on your stuff, and that's great so long as you get through the things we need. It's remarkable how often, maybe this is only my clients, but it's remarkable how often you can get people to come to an agreement when they are willing to declare that they actually want to help each other out, right. as opposed to keeping secrets and then in effect kind of abandoning each other. Have you always been a, I guess, a helper, uh, a planner, 
uh, a coordinator. I've really done that growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm an eldest, and it was pretty clear to me early on that I was kind of responsible for my sister and brother, that part of my job as an eldest was to make sure everybody was okay. Um, so I was responsible early on. In some ways, I'm a planner. I like to know what's coming and I like to have a lot of contingency plans, um, but I don't mind when they change. That's fine. But it's good to have some ideas because, you know, you can't count on anybody else feeding you ideas. You got to have your own. Um, and as far as a helper, yes, I really like this kind of supporting role because often when you are leading, you can't see everything. You know, you sort of see the front. I can go around and see everything. Everybody will talk to me. And then I have a better sense sometimes of what's going on than the person who's truly responsible. And I get the trust of everybody who's less worried. You know, I can't fire them. Um, so it gives me not only an interesting vantage point, but influence that you sometimes don't have when you're actually the boss. I can't tell you, Vinny, how often people ask me questions like, you know, like, why can't my boss be like you? Or, you know, I like talking to you. I don't want to talk to my boss. And I say, if I were here all the time, you wouldn't like me so much either. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's really worked for me. <laughs> I have to say I've been very lucky. Okay. So you have, you're the oldest of uh, three kids. Now, yeah. from there, your where did you know the path was? Because again, thirty years ago, right when you got into this this industry, it really, I mean, it wasn't maybe to the degree that it currently is, right? There's a lot of uh, companies that can assist you if you want to be a coach and help you on the game plan. I don't know if a lot of those companies were around thirty years ago. I don't think so. So, right. when you started in this and you knew, okay, I'm a, I like to coordinate, I like to help. What was your your idea you went to to college did what were your plans okay so in college um i was an american studies major i loved college but unlike my friends i wanted to go to work i think all of my friends went to grad school of some kind and i liked work because that's where you could make stuff happen so I went to work for a marketing agency, small, privately held, where I had worked for a couple of summers before. And I learned, you couldn't pay to learn the things that I learned. I was hired after I graduated to be an account executive. But when I got there on the first day, I was told that instead, I would be basically the, the interim manager of a department of 24 women. This was, um, what was it called? Tabulation and statistics. 
This is long enough ago that computers were not on every desk, okay? These were people counting pieces of paper and writing reports based on numbers of pieces of paper. Um, and in those days, there wasn't coaching in the sense that we think about it now. There were bosses and they gave direction. They gave orders and you followed those in the best way you could. And that job, I hadn't managed people before that. That was hard and I learned a lot. Um, but it was not near as hard as the job I had two years later when I was 23 and I was suddenly responsible for a 300 person call center. And um, that was the hardest job I ever had. Really tough because you couldn't keep people happy. There were constant needs, just so many people, there have to be constant needs, many projects. Uh, so there were all kinds of things in conflict all the time. And you had to live by your wits in some ways. But the idea of helping the people who worked for you do better, that was a kind of coaching. It wasn't structured in the way we think of coaching now. But just giving orders, that only works when the work is incredibly straightforward, concrete, consistent, and people are willing to take orders. If you're expecting people to think for themselves, you have to actually let them do that. And you can't just order them around all day. So call center, where were you guys selling? Oh, my goodness, all kinds of things. This is long enough ago that telemarketing was really a beautiful thing. This was before it got ugly. So um, some of these, this may sound a little incredible to you. One of the things we sold was microwave ovens when they first came out. Um, people, you didn't even have to go into a store. People would buy them sight unseen. I think they were $400. So just an amazing thing. Who, who could even um, contemplate that? And we did some very high-end, beautiful projects. We did a wonderful um, initiative on behalf of Sotheby's you know, the art auction house, selling the catalogs for shows, these expensive coffee table type books that showed what was going to be sold in a particular auction to art lovers. Um, so lots of very high-end stuff. And then some other regular things that you might expect like magazines and, and things like that. But over time, as everybody knows, that industry deteriorated in many ways. So at 23, you're running a, this call center. Did you have a background in being one of the, the callers? Or how did you move the ranks to become a manager? Um, so my first summer working for this organization, I was on the phone. Okay. And I, I learned some of that. And I also um, spent a little time not that much time supervising a unit of people who worked on the phone. Um, 
The second summer I worked there, I sort of created a little human resources department for them. They didn't really have one. Uh, so I would say it was probably more personnel at the time than human resources, but structuring all the interview forms and the documentation for recruitment and hiring people and, and those kinds of things. Um, and then I really learned the company starting with that interim management role. And then I was an account executive and I was promoted every six months because as is often the case, in smaller privately held companies, there's so much to do that if you are willing to take more stuff on, they're happy to have you do it. And um, I don't like stuff that doesn't go well. I like it to go smoothly and, and be really productive. So I just kept taking on more things and it was kind of ridiculous that I would end up in the position I was in, to tell you the truth. But um, some guy was hired externally to be vice president of this call center, and he didn't work out. And I guess I was their best shot at the time. Why at that time, especially at 20, 23 years old, were you in 21, 22, 23, taking on more responsibility? Instead of just, I mean, usually, I mean, not usually, but sometimes that you're just working for a job, especially at a call center. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's um, maybe for some people that appealing, right? But you're taking on more responsibilities, taking pride in your work. What was driving you to to want more, to do more? I think first it was fascinating. <laughs> there were so many things going on, so many different kinds of people. Um, it was a different time then, but every day was different. It kind of raced by. So that was just interesting all the time. Many of the projects were interesting. Learning how to make a difference, how to make something work better that wasn't working well, figuring it out, experimenting. That's really interesting. Some of the people were so wonderful. So that's rewarding. Um, the ability to serve clients and have them be pleased with the work. That was great. You know, there were loads of reasons to just be excited and interested. I would walk to work getting revved up, you know, it, it, it could be like a sitcom, that sort of striding thing with my briefcase. Um, it was good. It was also terrifying because stuff could be screwed up and sometimes that would happen and then you'd have to figure out how to fix it. And there were, I really did not like leaving so much undone every day. With so many people and so many projects, you know, it's like a plate spinning act all the time. And you're always waiting for a crash and you're always hoping you can get to spin the plates just in time before they fall. And um, so I didn't love, I mean, I loved doing it but I didn't love 
that I couldn't get it better enough in my eyes. So I was happier when I moved on to other roles that were more focused on, for example, client services and really tending clients. You talk about the helping kind of role. Um, in some ways, I was happier with that afterward. And my last role there was as executive vice president. Um, the owner of the company died and there was no succession plan. And um, the widow brought in an outsider who was backed by money. And one of the luckiest things in my life, I think, is that she felt I was too young to actually run the business on my own. And thank goodness she did. <laughs> I mean, that, that really saved me because I didn't like the direction it started going in. This was at the time, Vinny, when telemarketing was starting to get more ugly. And I could see that coming. And this outside person didn't come from our tradition of high-end and experimental work. It was much more the commodity kind of stuff. And I could see that I wasn't gonna be happy for the long term. And so I left, but because I had been very active in the direct marketing industry, I was active in the trade association, I knew a lot of people, other consultants subcontracted work to me. I was working within a week after I left and I just never stopped. So when you left, these people would just bring you on, talk to their people and that was simply it? That's pretty close. Um, I think in many ways, because I had the track record of working in this field and in this company, I, I was there, I think it was about eight years when I left. Um, and in those days, I spoke at a lot of industry conferences. And I think you can see I'm pretty upbeat about things. And I believe there's a way to get things done. And people would hear me and they would think, oh, my people wouldn't hate her. And which is a very low bar, you would think. But in fact, um, in more cases than you would think, there was just so much distress and upset. Um, frontline workers often feel completely unattended to and that they're sort of whipsawed by being ordered around by managers who don't really know what's happening in the job. And I understood them, I had done their job, I had ideas about how their job could be done better. And one of the things that's always fascinated me, anything that goes wrong in a company ends up in customer service one way or another, you know? And so with managements and executives that were willing to hear what was going wrong outside the call center. So I would then start doing work outside the call center based on what I had learned in these companies inside their call center from listening to their reps, from hearing the actual phone calls and hearing what their customers were upset about. So then I was able to provide advice and guidance 
in terms of a whole variety of things, business process issues and how their executives worked in general. And I sort of evolved over time. Um, and now I do everything from some strategic planning, you asked about the planning, to a lot of leadership development about how these things can be better so everybody's working in concert instead of at loggerheads all the time. With that transitioning from your the corporation getting a steady paycheck to, in essence, starting your own company a week after you were parted ways, how did you find the price right that you were going to charge for your services was it because that's a short time unless unless you had people around you that you could ask or i mean if you had this kind of game plan put together already that that's a, a short window of a week of time just coming up with a number going this is my number this is my cost this is what i'm going to do yeah um okay the truth is i don't remember so well exactly <laughs> what happened certainly the subcontracting work that I was doing, which I just accepted, it was people I knew and trusted and I was grateful to have it. Well, if that's what I could make subcontracting, whatever that was at the time, without even asking for it, that gave me a sense of positioning in the marketplace and mm -hmm. what could be true over time. Um, and the funny thing is, looking back, I didn't have a plan at all. I just worked and hustled and worked. And Vinny, I've been really lucky. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I've been very lucky because you can know exactly what you're doing. You can be really smart, highly competent, all kinds of good things. And if you're not also lucky, you can have a rough time. When did you feel like you found a, a strong plan, a plan that you can actually build and grow? I mean, I know when I started in the real estate industry, I, I was hungry, just doing what I had to do, put my face, you mean, go forward, go forward, go forward. But it took me a little while to actually understand, okay, I'm working in my business, not on my business. And once I kind of came to that realization, things slowly started changing. Was there a moment for you that that started happening? Was it very early on or later on? So, um, I have not thought about that. What comes to mind, both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs and one for sure and, and the other in certain ways. I think, oh, and, um, one of my great grandmothers was a bootlegger, actually. Oh. Um, and so I think I have a lot of drive, you know, survival instinct and drive. And I don't mean that in a cutthroat way. I mean it in an expectation that if I put in the effort, I will see return, but that effort has to be made. I don't expect it to be easy. I expect it to be hard and I'm willing, you know? Um, so I don't think I really thought in terms of planning very much for probably the first 20 years, actually. 
Um, I mean, it helped that for the first, uh, I, can't, I can't even remember how long, um, for the first 20 years, my husband was also working. So it wasn't just me. Um, and knowing how to manage a bank account is really crucial because particularly in a service business, you know, goes up and down, it goes up and down. And um, the thing that has been a through line for me is that whenever business has been down and when there are economic downturns, my line on the budget is a really easy line to cut. And I'm grateful that my clients always pay me and they let me know, oh, we're not gonna be able to pay you, so we have to stop now. But then we pick it up again when they have money again. Um, in bad times, I've invested in the business. I have either paid to go to seminars or conferences and take courses. I have hired coaches. It's when things are less good that I actually pay extra money to look for ways to be ready for the next growth period. So I don't expect any kind of straight line. I just expect to keep plugging along. And, and that's been pretty good. Although to your point earlier, there are now many, many more people who are in the same kind of space I'm working in than there used to be. When now I can see it be easier now, right, with the down moments to have faith in yourself to spend the money. Yet, when that first down moment or second down moment, right, what drove you to to invest to keep going forward and maybe not maybe quit and go back to the corporate world? What what stopped you from doing that? I knew I couldn't have a boss again. I mean, there were some ways in which I always had a boss when I was working at the agency, but I was very independent minded. I liked getting along with people. I don't, I mean, I do a lot of work in conflict now, probably because I'm conflict avoidant myself. So I really had to learn about how to handle conflict. Um, I, in some ways, operated as if I knew what to do to help my boss even more than I took direction from any boss that I had. I don't know why that is. I think it just was natural to me. The idea of going back into an organization permanently and therefore having less variety, which is something I really love, and having to plug away at the same problems with the same people in the same way and not get to step back the way I can in my practice just seemed like misery. I mean, at times when I've thought about it, what I've thought instead is I could lower my standard of living and be okay if I didn't work. Mm -hmm. 
I think that first. But if I didn't work, what would I do? I'd be volunteering somewhere doing the same stuff. I mean, I, I also volunteer and do the same stuff now. I might as well get paid. So <laughs> it just, it just, um, it didn't seem like a real option not to go forward. If, and you said in the last, I mean, 10 years or so, you started really planning, right? So understanding the business a little more. With the knowledge you know now, is there something, advice that you'd give maybe to your, I mean, younger self or one that was just about starting in that company? Um, it's not so much advice for my younger self because my path fit my younger self really well. The advice for my younger self wouldn't be about planning or strategy. It would be more like just not to be afraid so much because you'll figure it out, you know, that kind of thing, reassurance. But for people who are considering going into a kind of coaching or consulting business, I think my advice would be along the lines of figuring out what your expertise is and why you stand out from others, because there are so many people now. It's much harder to hang out your shingle than it was when I did it. Um, and even when I did it, because of my trade association contacts and connections, I already had a kind of platform. I spoke at conferences. I wrote for a couple of trade publications. So I had some marquee value, even at that time. And what I've learned in the last few years is that if you don't have a kind of social proof or the signaling, market signaling, that shows that you're worth it, it can be much harder to find clients and have credibility compared to all the other people that are out there. When you, you said fear, right, to your younger, younger self, don't be afraid, kind of push through. What were what were those fears? Do you recall? Oh, yeah. Be a terrible failure. Um, disappoint my clients. Uh, have people be angry with me. Very human fears about wanting to be accepted and wanting to be so I don't want to work there, but I'm kind of part of their team, you know? So there is still often the desire to be a part of a group, even if you want to be on the outer fringes and be able to tell them what's going on on the inside. Fear of screwing up, very regular, same as anybody. Um, and sometimes the fear of disappointing because people trust me and they put their confidence in me that I will actually help them find a better solution, help disparate parts work together, help difficult people smooth themselves out and I'm good at it. 
and I work hard, but I've also been lucky. So most of the times it's really been okay. But even in new assignments, sometimes you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to make this work? Listen to these people. Do they hear themselves? They paint a terrible picture. But, you know, we're all human. And so if you're really willing to work with people as they are, you can often get them to go pretty far. Do you still have any of those fears of uh, wanting to be, I guess, liked, the disappointment? Do you still have any of those fears? Yeah, I'm still human. <laughs> still, what, I mean, <laughs> how do you get past it? Because, I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'll get the same thing. I'll be like, it, and it could be the smallest of thing where I, I let this person down or they just don't like me. We didn't connect. And it will hold on to me, right? Like you said, you're human. How do you go on with your day or how do you push through that in those moments to know I can't let these other people down because maybe this one person I didn't connect with well? How do you go past that? Okay. There are a bunch of different stages. So the first thing, because I'm a logical, rational kind of person, First, I talk to myself logically and rationally. Say, for example, um, oh, you must deal with this kind of thing. I send a proposal and I don't hear anything. And I think, oh, they must hate me, right? I, that's the first, you don't, your first thought is not, oh, they're so busy. Your first thought is, oh, something must be wrong. So I've been through this enough. I try to explain to myself, and then I try to listen to myself. But the other thing is I don't try to push through it anymore because the brain doesn't work so – the brain doesn't like to be forced. And, you know, there's all this work out now on um, cognitive capacity and neuroscience and all this stuff. I love that. So – really feeling the worry, the fear, naming it, recognizing it as fear that I've had before and survived. And there are so many techniques, Vinny, wonderful. Um, I'm, can I give you one right now? Yeah, please. Okay, so when you are in fear, First of all, you're chattering to yourself all the time. You know, you can hear that little voice saying all the terrible things. But the other thing is, if you really pay attention, you feel it in your body. You know, either your stomach is churning or your jaw is locked or your throat is clenched. We all have different reactions, but we've got these physical reactions. So a fabulous, crazy technique is you turn and you look behind yourself. And then you go to the other side and you see that, in fact, nobody's chasing you. <laughs> Which is, it's crazy that this can actually work. And you say to yourself, and it helps, by the way, to use your own name, or sometimes I call myself honey or sweetheart so that I think someone is being nice to me. And I say, you're safe. There's nobody after you. And because your body actually checked it out, your brain starts to calm down and your stomach starts to calm down. And then you can say, oh, 
I know that prospect is busy. And really, they could have worked on this six months ago and they didn't. So it's a high priority, but it's not an everyday priority. In a couple of days, I'll just send a note and ask them if there's anything else they need. And then it turns out they were just busy and they apologize and, you know, it's all good. But being able to calm yourself, that's a big deal. I like it. Now, if let's say we're talking in, say, five years from now, right? Five okay. years from now, where is Liz going to be? Where is your company going to be? So I have just been thinking about that. I don't have my mind made up. Um, which, you know, is kind of consistent in a way, because I believe in incremental opportunism, which is easy for me to do because it's me. If you have a company, this is harder to pull off. Um, I like to see what's happening. And if I like it, I go more in that direction. And if I don't like it, then I don't have to do that. Uh, so one of the possibilities is I'm, I just wrote a book proposal and I just sent it out to a few agents and I'm waiting to get responses back. It may be that I start to write books. That's one real possibility. I've already prepared myself in case nobody wants this book, that then I won't write books and I'll have more time to work on more interesting projects and find more interesting clients. Um, I want to keep doing the work I'm doing, Vinny, in the sense that it is really gratifying to see people grow into themselves, become more self-assured and more competent. I feel really proud when people do that. There are companies I've worked with, um, one for more than 25 years, one for 20 years. I, I mean, I have these long relationships. I don't want to give that up. Um, I, I make jokes that I'll still be doing this when they put me in the home. As long as, you know, as long as I'm still interested and curious about why things don't work and how could we make them work, I suspect I will be giving advice forever. So there's always people who need it. <laughs> it's great. You know, it's, it's permanent job security in that sense. Um, and I, it's not that I want to build a big company because the idea of managing a lot of people, I love not managing people. I'm very good at knowing how to do it, but it's actually tiring to me in ways that advising is not. Hmm. Well, if anyone's listening right now and they have a, a company that they're looking for an advisor to bring on to help them out, What's the best way of them finding you, Liz? Thank you. My website's really the best place. It's www.lizkislik.com. I assume you'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Right. Great. Okay. So um, they can get to me there. Um, if it's of interest to anybody in your audience, Vinny, I've got a free ebook 
there about how to deal with the interpersonal aspects of conflict that could be helpful to people. And there are, I don't know, 10 years worth of blogs and articles and many podcasts about how you deal with organizational issues and the things that go wrong inside companies. Um, and they can also find me on LinkedIn, of course, and on Twitter. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Liz, for being on here. Thanks for all your insight. And I mean, thank you for just, I think people listening right now, one of the, the big takeaways was the idea that if there's stuff on your plate, do more. If there's an opportunity, say yes, keep pushing forward. And positive things are going to happen. That's that's the biggest takeaway I think I took away from this. So thank you again, Liz. Oh, sorry. What you say? That's great, Vinny. I really enjoyed this. You've asked me questions nobody has asked me. It's been it's been interesting. <laughs> that's the thing. Find work that it may not be interesting your first few days, but let it become interesting to you, and then you're happy to do it. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.